0: This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursday each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. This podcast is sponsored by Harrington Interactive Media. Working on a book? Let us help you get it to print. We can edit your book, design the cover, and help you list it on Amazon's print-on-demand services. See examples of our work and connect with us at HarringtonInteractive.com. In this episode, Charles Bone shares his talk called "The Backstory of Centoya Brown's Clemency," recorded on February twenty first, twenty nineteen.
1: Thank you all for uh, having me. This is uh, this is the first time I've done this. We're, you know, we we just started this celebration, uh, January the seventh, when uh, Governor Haslam announced the clemency uh, for Centoya. So. Um, This has been quite a whirlwind here over the last several weeks. And uh, I know a number of you uh, said, would I really want to have breakfast and hear a lawyer to start my day? But so let me just say, you know, I ain't no uh, regular lawyer. (laughs) And some of you all uh, know that. Uh, Claude especially knows that. And I'm not as old as Claude Blankenship, by the way. Uh, So uh, I'm not the oldest person uh, here I I know. I want to tell you uh, my story. I want to tell you uh, Centoia's story. And um, I want to tell you in the context of... uh, What this has meant in the lives of so many people who've gotten involved in um, in her story Uh, all people who've gotten involved because they wanted to do something that would make a difference in the life of a person like her and make a statement make a statement to others about what redemption and rehabilitation really means. So I want to start, and I don't want you to think I'm bragging here, but I, there are a number of pieces of this that have brought me to tears. And I'll try not to, I've been practicing uh, not crying. So uh, I want to uh, I want to tell you the the story as quickly as I can and uh, thank you all for uh, listening. And then I have a little challenge at the the end I'd like to give you. But January the 7th is when Bill Haslam announced his decision to grant clemency to Centoya, And she'll be out of prison on August the 7th. Of 2019 exactly 15 years after she killed the man that had picked her up for sex in Nashville in 2004 that next week I received a letter uh, from a, a friend who said this in his letter Charles you have freed a captive This is never a small thing, and I'm sure that Jesus is pleased to see his teaching fulfilled. Blew me away, of course. And, of course, he was uh, referring to the Luke 4, uh, 18 uh, message of Jesus when he went to the synagogue and read Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, uh, an amazing scripture and one that we've all probably known for years. I'd never put it in the exact context of that, you know, that's where I was uh, along with a big team of people freeing a captive. So this all started eight years ago for me. And let me first say um, I've been practicing law almost 50 years And early on in the first two or three years I had one criminal case didn't go very well I was appointed to represent this guy who was uh, convicted of uh, manslaughter Um, that was it for me so this so I've never had another criminal case that I've been involved in so in 2010 an old friend of mine, uh, Judge Patsy Cuttrell, who who's on the Court of Appeals, called me one day and said, "There's a documentary um, being shown at the uh, Green Hills Theater for the uh, for the Nashville Film Festival this weekend. I want you to go." When a judge says that, what do you say? Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> I'll go. So. Uh, I went to uh, see the documentary called Me Facing Life, The Story of Cintoya Brown. And this is a documentary that was created by an unbelievable artist from Los Angeles named uh, Dan Bierman. Dan Bierman just happened to be in Nashville the day Cintoya killed Johnny Allen. So she was sent to juvenile court. Dan was there with his camera. He's had a long history, teaches at UCLA, uh, has been very involved in the film industry for documentaries for years. So he was there, and he's followed Centoya since that day 15 years ago. So this documentary chronicled the first few years from 04 to 2010 when she was arrested and thank you so much uh, when she was arrested and ultimately sentenced to life imprisonment in her uh, trial and life imprisonment in Tennessee for first degree murder means uh, that it's not just uh, completely life imprisonment, you do have a chance to get out after 51 years. So Cintoya was me facing life. She would be eligible for parole in 51 years which would have made her 67 years old. Now those types of laws uh, all across the, t- the country have been have been challenged in many ways in many courts as unconstitutional uh, extreme sentences for juveniles here she was 16 years old Uh, and we decided um, that this law in Tennessee needed to be challenged among other things in trying to get her release from prison so What did I do? I reached out to a criminal lawyer, somebody who knew what they were doing, and uh, thankfully have a best friend by the name of Houston Gordon, who uh, lives in West Tennessee and has had a great career as a, as a lawyer. We've been best friends since the second week of law school uh, back in the 60s. And sent him the documentary and convinced him that we needed to... Uh, Uh, we we needed to consider whether this was something we were willing to to take on. And not only Houston, but other lawyers as well uh, joined us in this this effort uh, as far as the legal part of it was concerned. So here's what we found when we began to examine she'd already been convicted all her appeals had, appeals had been exhausted, and she was at the prison for women in Nashville. The only hope she had through the legal process was to file what's called a post-conviction relief petition. So we began our work. Mm-hmm. And what did we find? Well, uh, we found that sintoya was born to a woman who was a prostitute a drug addict and an alcoholic just like her mother Centoya's her, grandmother we found that Centoya had been abandoned by her mother and uh, adopted by another family who tried to care for her in Tennessee we found that Dan found, when he interviewed Centoia's mother, found that Centoia's mother stated openly that she drank a fifth of whiskey every day while she was pregnant with Centoia. What we learned as a result of that, and I don't know whether any of you all, have, we, I didn't, I'd never heard of fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. I see a nod here. So um, I'd, I'd, I'd never heard of that. Houston had heard of that. And we, so we began to research that. What that means when a woman carries a child in her womb for those months and drinks that much Is that that child's brain is pickled? Was the word some of the um, experts used? Pickled, and that when you have that that disorder, you uh, are handicapped tremendously for generally the testimony is 20 years of your life that you grow out of it you you your brain dries out Is kind of the you know simple explanation to it but when she was 16 she ran away from home she uh, had a mind of a 10 or 11 year old because she had this condition she was on the streets of Nashville and who picked her up but a guy named Cutthroat, of all things. Cutthroat uh, took her to his motel room, beat her up, fed her drugs, alcohol, uh, sent her t- to the streets of Nashville to sell her body for money. And told her not to, come ba- not to ever come back to his room without cash. Interestingly, uh, two months after Centoia committed this uh, this act, killing Johnny Allen, Cutthroat died in a gun battle in Nashville when he was 24 years old. So Centoia was sent to the streets. Centoia was picked up by Johnny Allen. He took her to his home. Uh, they'd made a deal for you know, 100 to 150 dollars. Uh, she became really nervous when he started showing her his guns and talking about being a sharpshooter. And they were in bed. Um, I think he had on boxer shorts, and she was naked. And she got really, really nervous. So he turned to reach for something, and her testimony is she thought he was gonna reach for a gun. So she pulled out the gun out of her purse that Cutthroat had given her and shot him in the back of the head. Awful. Awful. Just, you know, 16 year old with a limited mind in a position where uh, she had to make some decision. And obviously made the wrong decisions she had tried to leave and uh, found and he'd stopped her from from leaving again this is her testimony there's another uh, side I, w- I want to say there's there's some other people out there who want to contest this but uh, that's uh, the overwhelming part of the testimony is that she was uh, um, that, that she was entrapped by this man who had picked her up for sex so she was tried convicted all the way through the uh, uh, the appeals and uh, then we got involved and uh, we went back up the chain Uh, post-conviction relief means you go back to the trial court have another hearing we brought the experts in on fetal alcohol syndrome Uh, we tried to convince the judge that this Uh, information, this new evidence should be considered, and we tried to uh, convince the judge uh, that this law in Tennessee requiring 51 years for a juvenile was unconstitutional. Denied. Court of Criminal Appeals. Denied. Supreme Court of Tennessee. Denied. Federal District Court. Uh, in, in Nashville then you go back to federal court and that's denied but we were given the right to appeal to the Sixth Circuit which we did and what we found was that uh, in the Sixth Circuit uh, they listened they set the case they heard the case uh, they had not made a decision on the case uh, when Governor Haslam made his decision so, we don't know what that decision would have been, but the odds were against us, and we would have had to go on to the u s Supreme Court if we could have ever gotten there so we um, we decided that the best and only route was to uh, was to ask Governor Haslam in the last year of his office service in office after the last eighth year to consider. Uh, to consider clemency. Uh, when we were preparing that, you know, the other option is to ask for a pardon. And Centoia said, I don't deserve a pardon. You know, I, I did the act. But I do think I'm qualified for clemency. So let me tell you her story of what's happened since she um, went to went to prison, where she's now been for 14 years and six months or whatever it is she had the opportunity to participate in an unbelievable program that Lipscomb University does called the life program Lipscomb does a program where women inmates can actually get college degrees and they send their traditional students from their campus To the prison one night a week for classes so that I had the opportunity to go and uh, teach a couple of those over the years and so you go into the classroom and you know you have 30 women who you know all look like women the difference is you have 15 of them in um, some kind of nice college garb and the other 15 have on their prison uniforms. That's the only difference in those classes. Centelia took all of those classes, made straight A's. Had never finished uh, junior high, had never finished high school. Uh, She had finished her GED before she um, was accepted in the college program at Lipscomb. Straight A's graduated with an associate of arts degree uh, with honors now has her last class that she'll finish in uh, May that will qualify her for a bachelor's degree with honors from Lipscomb University and she is in a position now where she uh, can leave that prison with a college degree We some possibility that she'll actually uh, walk uh, at the graduation ceremony that they have in in uh, in December we hope um, after she gets after she gets released in in August so you know there's a lot more to this story Um, there was a woman at the prison named Connie Seabrooks Connie Seabrooks had worked in the women's prisons for 40 years Connie Seabrooks when they started the Lipscomb program was asked who who would you pick to be in this program you only have eight women to start with Connie Seabrooks said the first one I would pick is Centoya Brown there's something about her that is so different from everybody else so Connie Seabrooks went to Centoya and said, I've got a deal for you. I think I can get you in this program. But here's the deal. You've got to behave. You can't have any write-ups, is what they're called, where you you know, do crazy things in prison. Uh, and you've got to behave yourself, and you've got to study hard. And I think you can get out, Centoia Brown, if you find if you find jesus and i'm making you that promise that if you will work hard if you will rehabilitate yourself if you will study the way you should if you will participate in these classes and if you will find jesus i think you can uh, can get out connie c brooks is an amazing woman uh, she's now retired she came along with a lot of others uh, to testify before the Board of Paroles wrote a letter uh, actually went with us uh, to see the governor's lawyers uh, on one occasion along with the people from Lipscomb and I, I've got to say I, the, well here's 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 the bottom line on that I won't brag on Lipscomb but what I will say to you is Centoya Brown would have been dead would have been dead on the streets of Nashville if it weren't for the Department of Corrections program with Lipscomb University that gave her this opportunity for an education. And what they did is just an opportunity. You know, everybody doesn't take advantage of the opportunity, it's about rehabilitation. And the question was, you know, could she do this? So she has done it. We had, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into all details, that 20 minutes, so uh, let me see if I can finish in about five, and uh, I haven't looked at any of my notes here, so I am probably left out something that I was supposed to say. Uh, Two two or three things. One, uh, I don't know whether you all uh, have followed this at all or not, but when we got ready to go to the clemency, the word got out, and the celebrities picked it up. So, all of a sudden, Kim Kardashian has tweeted hashtag Brown. And then, all these other celebrities picked it up all around the world. There were 10 million tweets about hashtag Brown from celebrities that I had to learn about. <clears throat> <laughs> I, I, I'll have to tell you, I I, I really didn't know. Uh, how many here have ever heard of Drake? Drake? All right, some of the younger guys have. So I'd never heard I'd never heard of Drake. Uh, you know, not only did Drake tweet, uh, he called, and he said, "I'd like to go see Santoya Brown." I'll come back to Kim Kardashian in a minute. LeBron James hashtag Free Santoya Brown. Some rapper. That I call i t but I think it's really t uh, uh, i I never heard him i still don't, I'm, I still hadn't heard his music exactly uh, but uh, but again over the over the year and a half here we we 've heard from uh, a lot of different people, and I want to give Kim Kardashian a shout out because you 've seen her probably on the news where she went to president Trump to to get him to release a federal prisoner that uh, really needed to be released. The morning that hashtag came out, her lawyer in Los Angeles called us, and she said, I don't know what's happened here. I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I want you to know I didn't have any knowledge that Kim Kardashian was gonna start this movement, and we will stop if you want us to stop, I said, please do. Let me tell you, our governor is a conservative, Republican, Southern governor, and I just don't think that Kim and all of these other folks are going to have a lot of influence on on our governor. So they did. They stopped. We couldn't stop everybody, and there was toward the end there was a lot of piling on by a lot of people who were uh, who were interested in trying to be helpful or trying to get on the train Uh, so let me just uh, let let me let me tell you about uh, two meetings with uh, with Governor Haslam he doesn't usually meet with people His lawyer, Dwight Tarwater, uh, could not have been a nicer guy. I will tell you that I took my law partner, Ed Yarborough, who's a well-known Republican, with me for that, and he was very helpful. When when we first sat down to talk to the governor, uh, we thought we were just going to meet with Dwight, and Dwight said, hold on, the governor wants to see y'all, so we go in and see Governor Haslam. He said, so I know some of us have had different political histories kind of looking at me I said yes sir some of us have Um, but this is about Centoya and he said so why should I let Centoya out when there are all these others that deserve some kind of consideration I said governor if there's anybody else in that prison with the record of rehabilitation that Centoya Brown has You should let them out as well because her record of rehabilitation and her scholarship and what she has done is unparalleled in the prison system two women in history have been granted hearings before the board of parole two women and uh, again I saw Channel 17 last night did some kind of expose about the board of parole and I I won't I I won't get into that you you might have seen we had a two to two to two vote at the board of parole we had two who said let her out now two who said make her serve uh, 25 years and then let her out and then two who said don't ever let her out so it was an inconclusive uh, recommendation But the governor's not bound by any recommendation of the parole board. And we had the opportunity to make our case to Dwight Tarwater and his two assistants. We took somebody from Lipscomb. We took uh, Connie uh, Seabrooks and sat down with them for three hours one morning. And we could not have been given more consideration so then the first week in january dwight called and said okay the governor's made a decision will you all come up here and meet with him again we had no idea what he was going to do i mean absolutely no idea you're talking about Uh, this wasn't the only sleepless night Uh, last night was pretty sleepless trying to remember it I was gonna uh, try to get up this early to come down here but uh, that morning um, we went in to see the governor and the governor said I've made up my mind so I was kind of holding my breath and he said "Uh, I'm gonna let her out August the seventh exactly 15 years from the date she first went into custody and I'm going to require her to have a ten year parole um, uh, condition, so that she'll have to comply with all all the rules that everybody is supposed to uh, comply with uh, on parole. So she, uh, I just broke down crying. Yarborough said, "Well, I'm a Republican. I don't cry." <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, "Well, you, you. So they, they, you know, they, they had to go. They had to go get some tissue for me because I was just, I was just uh, bawling. and um, it was uh, just an unbelievable experience. We got to go to the prison, and the next, he, they wouldn't let us tell her because they wanted to hold the news until 11 a.m. on January the 7th. Uh, And so, at 8 o'clock that morning, uh, Ed and I and Kathy Seabrook, Kathy Simbach, who's been a part of her life for 16 years. From the day she was first arrested, Kathy's been right there with her uh, as a friend, not just in a legal capacity, but as a friend. So, we went. We went. um, we, um, uh, I was the first one to go in the door, so I hugged her and said, You're getting out in August. Now, all the rest, oh, Houston went with us too. I, I, I can't, I, you know, Houston gets all the credit here. But uh, so uh, I, they said, Well, aren't, weren't you going to let all up, Stellar? I said, Well, I was, but I just couldn't stand it. <laughs> so uh, so we, we had a great hug. And then uh, our Republican lawyer, Ed Yarborough, led us in a, a prayer. Uh, as we uh, left the prison that morning. it's pretty special. And then we had the announcement uh, that the governor wanted us to do. Let me tell you something. Governor Haslam is a courageous man. When you look at kind of where he is and where there's some chance he may want to go, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to say, you know, why did you let this criminal out of prison? You know, did she really deserve this kind of treatment? And what I can tell you is this is about the heart of Centoya and about the heart of Bill Haslam and about her convincing him of her rehabilitation. He wouldn't meet with her. I I can't wait for there to be a time... uh, over the next year when we actually have an opportunity for them to meet. Then I want to close with uh, two thoughts real quickly. One, Centoya uh, uh, wants to help the people who've helped her. Uh, three thoughts. One, I, I want to say uh, this, because this is really important. There are four or five um, victims' rights group in Tennessee who uh, defend victims' rights uh, in, in all the hearings that are held in the legislature and, you know, on, usually on the, against the criminal. All five of them came out in favor of the clemency for Centoia. All five of them studied this case and made the decision that she was the victim and the victim that they uh, should... Uh, should uh, speak out for. Those, um, I'd like to give you the names because I, I mix them up when I, let's see, five, six, let, me, let me do that here just real quickly. Um, those groups are, uh, you have the power that was uh, started by, um, on, uh, on, Andre Conte, uh, Phil Bredesen's wife, went after her uh, experience as a victim. Um, Tennessee Voices for Victims, in uh, Slavery Tennessee, uh, Thistle Farms. I know you all have had uh, Becca here. Uh, Becca, um, you know, was, wrote a letter, spoke up, spoke out. Uh, and uh, Epic Girl, which is another, another organization. So what, uh, and I'll, I'll finish just uh, now, but I want to tell you what Centoya wants to do. She wants to form an, uh, a, a non-profit, a nonprofit that would allow her to speak up and speak out, helping, helping young women who are victimized like she was victimized. And there's a growing movement all across the world about what's going on with sex trafficking, and that certainly needs needs to be embraced and uh, and promoted. And she she wants to do that, and I think she wants to use her celebrity status. She doesn't like for me to use that word, but what I have said is, you know, you have become a celebrity. Everything you do is going to be reported, examined. You're going to be, uh, well, uh, again, I quote Houston Gordon. Houston Gordon said, you're the sugar everybody wants. Everybody's going to want a part of you, Centoya. And uh, that's not an easy ride for someone who comes out of prison uh, who's never had a driver's license, never had a job, Uh, never had a family, Uh, you you know, I mean, you can just go down the list. So, uh, Centoia's message, uh, yesterday, or earlier this week, I said, so, where where did the change happen? Where did you go from darkness to light? She said, I went from darkness to light when I got in that Lipscomb program, and I got to be around people from the outside, and people who were followers of Jesus. And she said, that's the message that I want to send. And she wants to use the passage uh, in Luke 6 of the uh, man with the shriveled right hand that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, you know, in a confrontation with the Pharisees. Uh, she wants to use that passage as her anthem going forward to do what she can do. And then, if I haven't lost all my notes here, I want to just conclude by saying, this is not going to be an easy ride for her. The last 16 years haven't been an easy ride. The first 16 years of her life were awful. Awful. You cannot imagine, you know, when I think of my grandchildren, I just cannot imagine that some teenage child had to be uh, put through what she was put through so i invite you to follow her case Uh, you know i wish i could kind of give you the names of everybody who's volunteered to help here and you know the sweet sweet stories and the roles that they've played nobody we've asked to be involved in this said no nobody asked for money Everyone was moved by the justice of her cause and the spirit of the Lord. So, I ask you to pray for Centoya. Follow her story. She's going to begin an unbelievable um, journey on August the 7th. The news cameras from all over the world are gonna be waiting at the gates. We're trying now to figure out how we can slip her out the back door. (laughs) Maybe we can put her in one of those vans. And uh, so, and the prison people have been very cooperative, but they're just, you know, this is not something they do on on a daily basis. And she's gonna make a mistake. I mean, she's gonna do something dumb. Like I've never done anything uh, dumb or any of y'all have done anything dumb before. So I want to encourage you, if you have any passion for this at all, to get involved. I mean, there's so many groups doing such good things. A lot of churches, you know, visit the prison all the time, are really engaged in this. Uh, There are many, many, many centoyas out there both on the outside and the inside. And I think if we have any following of Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we believe what he said when he first started his ministry about Isaiah 61, when he had the opportunity to preach, he said,
0: free the captives. Thank you. You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media and get your book to print. They edit, package, and help you put your book on Amazon if you're an author, organization, or a publisher. That's HarringtonInteractive.com.